the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. It is indeed, and we continue on AM 1420, the answer at 8 minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it is the uh, Thursday, the 15th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord 2018, and the President of the United States says it's time to let people out of jail, and it's also time to, well, stop locking them up for as long as we have been. The legislation I'm supporting today contains many significant reforms, including the following. First, It will provide new incentives for low-risk inmates to learn the skills they need to find employment, avoid old habits, and follow the law when they're released from prison. So what's the motivation behind this? I think we have an idea when we hear things like this. Among other changes, it rolls back some of the provisions of the Clinton crime law that disproportionately harmed the African-American community. In other words, the question is, is the President of the United States already starting pandering for African-American votes in 2020? Is that what this is all about? Joining us now to analyze is our friend from Conservative Review. He is the senior, senior editor at Conservative Review. He is also an author of Stolen Sovereignty, How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. And Daniel Horowitz is also on CRTV. Good to have you back, Daniel. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. Make George Soros great again. Yeah, nobody's talking about this component of this. Yesterday, the president made a big deal at his press conference and there, this announcement of uh, his support for this First Steps uh, uh, Act. Um, he made a big deal of saying bipartisan. Did anybody hear the word bipartisan? We just said we did something bipartisan. And it's being kind of phrased that way and framed that way, but nobody is talking about the fact that this entire program is a George Soros-sponsored event. Tell us more. Sure. So, so first, I want to point your listeners to um, just a landing page we created at Conservative Review, Criminal Justice Reform or Jailbreak. Here's the truth. I've written about 
50 articles on this, but there's about a dozen we <laughs> whittled it down to. Uh, there's so many facets. We cover every facet of the actual legislation, other pieces of legislation that they have in store that they really believe in and are going to push, where the movement's coming from, where it's headed, the true trend of who is actually in federal prison, um, that really the sentences have gotten shorter, the crime is going up. Um, there's a lot, a lot to say here. Obviously, everything in that speech was made up. Um, the president has not read the bill, and I know that for a fact. Uh, he, I mean, you know that from the health care debate. He doesn't read bills. This is all coming from Jared Kushner, his liberal son-in-law. God bless the president for being close with family. I respect that. But, you know, at the end of the day, we voted for Trump, not for his liberal daughter and son-in-law. Um, and this is very near and dear to his heart. Um, Jared's dad was a Democrat crook and was locked up in the joint in New Jersey, and he has a chip on his shoulder from that. Um, everyone knows that. It's reported in the media. Um, and that's why he's been obsessed with it. Now, the thing is, this, whatever you think of white-collar crimes like his dad did, this bill has nothing to do with it. It retroactively early releases and reduces sentencing. So both front-end reduction of sentencing on the front-end, back-end early-time credits um, for the worst federal, federal, this is going to be very important, not state, federal drug traffickers during the worst drug crisis imaginable, and gun felons, as well as others such as... Um, child pornographers, as long as it's only a first-time offense, not a second-time offense. Um, this is a lack of understanding of the nature of who is in federal prison, um, what they're there for, and there's this talking point about uh, racial inequality. You, you, you played the clip there. I have an article out, um, and I'm trying to find it here, which one it is, if I even have it in, in my list here, because there, there are just so many of them. The old Trump was right on crime and incarceration. And I here are the following tweets. And by the way, everything I'm telling you now, everything I've written, Donald J. J. Trump has said that throughout his entire career. This is one of the most remarkable flips I've seen in my entire life. You know, Trump has vacillated on a lot of issues, but not on this. His entire life, he said, these are violent felons. He actually just called for the uh, death penalty of drug traffickers a couple of months ago. So again, it shows how remarkable this movement is um, he said that when it comes to violent crime, and if we are going to solve the problem, we must stop being so politically correct. We must tell it as it is. The overwhelming amount of violent crime in our major cities is committed by blacks and Hispanics, a tough, tough subject to, to discuss. He said this in 2013. Um, and he said, likewise, the primary victims of violent crimes are in African-American communities. Here's the reality. You could let out and this is me talking, not Trump, you could let out every single drug trafficker in state and federal prison, and here's what, what will happen. Right now, blacks comprise 37.5% of the prison population. Now, they commit a much higher rate of violent crime, but right now, if you were to let them all out, it would go down from 37.5 to 37.1. In other words, they are there primarily for the four big categories, um, murder, rape, armed robbery, and aggravated assault. And every year, um, one more stat, I'm just kind of running around here. Hold, hold, hold on before hold on sure. before you give me one more. Oh, I, I don't know the best way to do because I don't want to forget what you just said so I can follow up on it, but I also want to hear the sure. next one too. But but I want to I clarify this. African Americans, and correct me if, I'm mis, if, I, if I didn't hear this correctly, uh, comprise 37.5% of the prison population, If uh, that's in state and federal prisons. If you were to release all of them 
that are there for drug crimes, it would only reduce that population to 37.1. In other words, 0.4% of blacks incarcerated right now are there for drugs. The rest of them are there no, for no, things no. that are far worse than it. Did I hear that wrong? Mainly, but no, it doesn't mean okay, if try you that again. only... It doesn't mean if you only um, release black drug traffickers. If you release all drug traffickers, it would barely go down, meaning there's no... There's no so, in other words, there are far more white ones in, in prison than black ones because of the population. In other words, it's roughly the same uh, uh, ratio. It, it, there, there's no disparity. It, the, 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 that which blacks are incarcerated that much is not because of the drug laws. That's the point. It's because of the violent crime. Um, here is fresh FBI statistics. Just okay. actually um, finished uh, 2017 data was reported in, in uh, October of this year. Um, there were 1,272 more black people who were killed by homicide than white people. Um, that is astounding, given that they're only 13% of the population. Here's a better way to kind of uh, conceptualize this. Okay. Even though blacks are just 13% of the population, they account for 54% of all homicide offenders and victims, 55% of robbery offenders, 33% of rape offenders, and 34% of assault offenders. So in other words, obviously the overwhelming majority of everyone, including African Americans, are hardworking, law-abiding people. Criminals are the minority. But among the criminal population, it, unfortunately, it is disproportionately um, African Americans, but also the victims are disproportionately African Americans. So by, by doing these jailbreak bills, you wind up hurt you you'll hurt the suburbs but you'll hurt their communities even more that's precisely what i said before you came on in my last segment you know when the president says you know we were going to undo this clinton thing that locks up somebody after if you release uh, all of these people their victims are going to be or their excuse me the people in their own communities who are 80 to 90% of their victims are the ones who are really going to suffer from this in other words you're not helping the black population by releasing uh, criminals uh, uh, in, in this manner you are hurting the black population because they are going to be victimized by these newly released people and by those who aren't going to fear stronger sentencing guidelines or strong sentencing guidelines because those are being weakened as well now i want to clarify the other part of this when you say or when you quoted those statistics about uh, 13% being black and and committing x was 54 55% of the violent crimes is the other 55 white or is there a significant portion of that that is latino and what is that ah. demographic component of this how yeah. does that factor into this law so the, the, this is very important. So, so again, yes. the statistics I gave you were the FBI's uniform crime reporting statistics um, that includes it's, it's the entire country. Um, it's important to understand that what we're talking about here is federal legislation dealing with the federal prison population. There's a number of things that th – this is probably the biggest lie, and there are many lies behind the Soros movement. The federal prison population is unique in about five different ways. Number one, most broadly, only – 10% of the entire national prison population is in federal prison, right? 90% is in the states. We only have about 176,000 in federal prison. So when, when you see this big number of a million, two million, that, that, you know, that's in the states. The federal prison population is not that big. It's gone down um, 20, 30% over the last decade. It's gone down on raw numbers, much less the rate, even with the population growing. Um, a couple other things. Only 12% wind up completing the mandatory. 
there's multiple avenues called the safety valve, and more than ever, they're getting it. They're all, they've been getting it. Um, this is this is a big lie. They're being let out more than ever, and, and incidentally, crime is going up a lot of places, and the drug trafficking is going nuts. But I digress. Shocking, right? Another import- exactly. Um, another important component, get, getting back to your point about Latinos, um, two other things about the nature of federal the federal system. The federal system, let me tell you something. They, federal prosecutors will only go after someone in the federal system if they're really bad dudes. It's kind of like a backstop from the state system. Let me give you a perfect example of what's sitting in federal prison. Really, we need criminal justice reform the other way. Reagan used that term to say that too many people escape prosecution. We have too many violent crimes that go uncleared, and I could go through the numbers. They're astounding. So we fundamentally have an under-incarceration problem. Um, if you just look at the violent crime categories that everyone agrees need to be locked up. Um, but what happens is that, you know, they often escape justice because it's so doggone hard to land a conviction, not because of the baseline due process, but the BS due process added on by the courts, the evidentiary standards, they taint the evidence, all oh, this gets thrown out. It is so hard. So what happens is many of the people are initially arrested for murder or armed robbery, and we can't land a conviction. So the feds will come on the back end and slap them on drug trafficking charges because you look at the bank wiring, it's, it's easier to get them on that. That's how Reagan actualized the two-decade-long decline in crime. We didn't stop the drugs, but I would argue that's because of the immigration policies. But what we did do is reduce violent crime by 70%. It's the most miraculous social trend we've actualized in our lifetime, and we're now starting to reverse that. And that was because most of the drug traffickers are inherently violent. They were doing other things, too. And we hit them on these charges. So, for example, Kate Steinle's murderer. We all know he murdered the girl. But what happened was California is a dumpster fire. He escaped justice. Sessions came in, and DOJ hit him up on what? Immigration charges and gun charges. So you're going to see him serving hard time. And you're like, well, a gun fell. Like, wow, why is he in there that long? But really, they only went after him because of his, his history. There's something called a sentencing report that a judge uses. He looks at his complete rap sheet, his history. And what this bill does is, you know, so they say, oh, it's first-time offenders. It's a big lie. It expands the safety valve for those that have six prior convictions. These are career criminals. And one other thing in there is most of them, not most, but a lot of them are foreign nationals. When you start talking about federal drug charges and sitting in federal facilities, why are they in the federal system and not state system? Often it's because their immigration status. It's an immigration problem. Lawrence, mm. in Lawrence, Massachusetts, they just busted 40, 50 of these dudes, enough fentanyl to kill the entire Massachusetts. Every name, to my knowledge, was a foreign national. Um, this is an external problem at a primary trafficking level. It's a sanctuary problem. It's a border problem. Do the 25 or so things we want in immigration, then come back to me if we have this problem. 38% of those who are in U.S. Marshals' custody, meaning you're awaiting trial in the federal system, are foreign nationals. I could only imagine what that number is. I don't have it divided by um, those in the in custody for drug um, charges. Right. That Dan- is Daniel. mainly a foreign national problem. They all have Hispanic names. Daniel, I've, I've got to wrap here, but before I do briefly, is this why Jeff Sessions was fired? 
Wow, Jeff Sessions. Um, Jeff De- Jeff Sessions completely opposed this First Steps Act and this prison reform and everything else that's going on. He survived all of the president's complaints about Russia, this, that, and the other thing, and his inactivity. But I feel as though you know this, this isn't coincidental that just a few days after he announces Jeff Sessions is gone, boom, here comes the uh, prison reform that Sessions absolutely would not go along with. You are good, and I could I could confirm with you. So, so first of all, as you well know, DOJ and the Bureau of Prisons wrote a whole manifesto on this. I, I, I barely scraped 2%. There's a tremendous amount of logistical problems with this bill, um, with community um, supervision and halfway houses. There's a lot of insane things in this bill. Um, it, it, it allows illegal aliens to go into home confinement, and they're just going to escape. Um, but basically, Jeff Sessions, look, it was because of Mueller, Trump hated him, and, and the relationship never recovered. But what happened was, once he lost favor, Jared and the Koch brothers and all of the masters of the universe in the D.C. swamp, and I mean all of them that are supporting this, and this is, this is the number one swamp issue, believe it or not, they gunned for him. So you are very astute. That was a big part of it. And, and, and this ties in um, into the future, looking for a new replacement. That is one of the big things Jared is looking yeah. for, and that's why Chris Christie, if you remember, he met with Jared to potentially be vetted for AG, and he started talking about criminal justice reform. It ain't a coincidence. Boom. Yeah, that's exactly right. Daniel Horwitz, I'll be reaching back out to you to get some of those stats so that I can study those a little bit more that you've put up, those federal stats and more. But thank you so much for the time today. I appreciate you shining a spotlight on this for us. Take care. God bless. Thank you, Daniel. Daniel Horowitz, uh, conservative review, senior editor and CRTV as well. We went long. That's okay. I apologize for nothing. It was a good segment. It needed to be done. But we'll catch up and get right back on AM 1420 The Answer. All right, 1028 short segment here before we get to the uh, bottom of the hour news. Then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about I well, it was a massive deal because the Democrats made it a massive deal in the midterm elections. It was all they had to run on is try to refight the, the Obamacare fight, and they won enough seats uh, that it's going to continue to be a problem for an awful lot of people. So we're going to talk about health care on the other side. Right now, John, though, is in shard and wants to squeeze a call in here before the bottom of the hour. Hey, John, go ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, earlier in the week, you spoke to Mike Goldstein. He was driving to Columbus. Yes. He was joining Ben Shapiro. Yes. And they were going to meet with a group to present an agenda to protect free speech on college campuses. Yes. You right. Well, it wasn't was a meeting with a group. It wasn't a meeting with a group. They were testifying before the Ohio House. This was uh, before oh, an Ohio House yeah. committee. Yeah, House of Representatives. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, now, anyone that listens at all to the Dennis Prager program will hear him rail against the left-wing propaganda machine that's on our college campuses today. And I'm thinking uh, someone should tell Dennis to help is on the way, you know, hopefully. Well, hopefully, yeah, exactly right, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, but back to your point about uh, Michael and uh, Ben uh, speaking for their higher house. What was the question you wanted to ask about that? Uh, I, I had forgotten the group that they were going to meet with. Oh, 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 okay. Well, no, yeah, it wasn't a group, but I will say this. There was, there is a group. Citizens for Community Values is the group that has pushed and sponsored, uh, that legislation, uh, or, or actually, you know, kind of encouraged, uh, the, the House representatives to sponsor that legislation. Uh, but they were going down there to testify and hopefully get more co-sponsors so that they have a chance of getting that thing out of committee and into a, a full House vote because it is something that should be a law in this, in the state of Ohio. Really, it should be a law in all, 
on every state, but that uh, free speech must be protected by the colleges at all costs, including allowing people with unpopular opinions on liberal campuses, meaning conservative speakers and conservative students, to be heard without um, you know fear of uh, of harm to themselves, their their own persons, their property, and their rep- excuse me their reputations as well. So that's a big big part of that. But yeah, citizens for community values is what you were looking for. All right, it's ten thirty. We'll get news now, and as mentioned, we'll talk a little healthcare on the other side. The Bob France Authority, AM fourteen twenty. The Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. The time is 1035. Thank you so much for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Phone lines are open at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We're scheduled to talk with Dale Bellis of Liberty Health Share as we talk about the continuing rising costs of health insurance uh, and, uh, you know, the pre-existing conditions issues and everything else that were, you know, fought about in the uh, midterm elections. Uh, we're hoping to get him on the line ASAP, but while I wait for that, we'll take Bill's call, who is calling us from the Roads. Oh, he's on the turnpike. It says he's on I-80. Hey, Bill, thanks for joining us. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Uh, number one is I want to say how great it is. To hear, I, I listened to that 20-year-old filmmaker. What yeah. an intelligent young man. 20 years old. I was shocked. At what a great speaker, an intelligent uh, speaker, and it's good to know that there are a few good young men out there. But I was totally impressed with his speech. That's a great point. I was so focused on the fact that he's a filmmaker and he's got this documentary coming out that I neglected to really point out the fact that it's encouraging to see people in that generation who are thinking clearly and thinking for themselves and who have not been indoctrinated by our school systems, by colleges, and so on and so forth. So it's a great point. What else did you have, Bill? The prison reform. I'm so disgusted with President Trump right now. Uh, But where is... The education money coming from for these, these uh, felons and prisoners to be reformed is that uh, we covering that cost too? The, yeah, the well, I think I think there I think a lot of that is built into the budget into in uh, you know into the DOJ's budget since they run you know obviously the the criminal justice system um, and and to me I'm okay with the education especially if it's being done to you know with the prisoners who are behind bars if they are indeed. Uh, teaching them skills, teaching them trade skills, uh, vo- vocational education, and those kinds of things that will help them when they get out of their, you know, their prison sentence. When it ends, they can get into a trade, into a skilled job that pays them good money that will lessen the likelihood of them coming back and 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 you know reoffending. You know, the recidivism rate is extraordinarily, you know, it's an extraordinary problem. And if we can find ways to educate them in matters of, like I said, functional trades and vocational educational skills, and it stops them from being more likely to to return to crime for whatever it is their needs are, that's a good thing. I think that's a good expenditure expenditure of our tax dollars. Now, the rest of this about cutting off sentences and and reducing uh, mandatory minimums and so on and so forth, that's what I'm with you. I'm, I'm very frustrated with the president on that regard. Thanks so much. And I'm told I do have Dale Bellis on the line now. I told you I wanted to talk a little bit about health care this morning because uh, it's a problem. It's a big problem. The Democrats exploited it yet again. 
accusing Republicans of not wanting to cover pre-existing conditions, accusing them of trying to uh, uh, be in bed, or accusing them of being in bed with the big health insurers, and so on and so forth. So I thought this would be a good time to talk with our friend Dale Bellis. Dale is the CEO of Liberty Health Share, online at libertyhealthshare.org. Good to talk to you again, Dale. How are you, sir? Bob, what a pleasure to be with you, and I appreciate the invitation. I was a little surprised that health care became as big of an issue in this midterm election as it did, um, and, and I, I suspect it's because the Democrat Party just did not have a lot of other things to run on uh, because the economy is doing so well, national security has been prior, prioritized by the Republicans and the president. So they turned it back to Obamacare, and they turned it back to health care. Um, what was your take on the way that all played out? And then I want to talk to you about, obviously, the alternative to health insurance, which is health sharing, health care, uh, health uh, cost sharing by way of Liberty Health Share. Well, I really think the reason it's on everybody's mind, particularly voters going to the polls, is because of the rising costs of health care impacting the pockets of Americans all across America. And number two, that affects their ability to seek and receive care, the access issue. So price and access is particularly what's transpired in our American health care system. Uh, and, and frankly, Washington has been frozen in place. They're confounded as to how to go about the process of changing it so that the cost curve goes the opposite direction. And that's why, frankly, we're so excited uh, about this alternative means of meeting health care costs. We just think it needs to be a part of the mix and a part of the choices and opportunities that people review. Uh, I think that's a great uh, um Answer and, it, and it's a great explanation of what we're dealing with. The health care costs continue to rise. They have in the decade now that we have been subjected to Obamacare. A lot of people got kicked off of their health insurance. A lot of people lost their doctors. A lot of people saw their premiums and deductibles and co-pays go through the roof. And they just can't do it anymore. So let's talk about alternatives like Liberty Health Share. You've been on a couple of times now. We've talked about this. But for those who haven't heard you, let's get the, um, the elementary explanation here of how health share costs work. Well, may I say, regarding the first part of our conversation, sure. is that the flaw, there's a flaw in our current health care system that's not being addressed uh, by our policymakers and legislators, and that's the third-party pay system, where I send my money away to an insurance company, it now becomes their money, they disperse it based upon their priorities, mm-hmm. and I lose control of both the cost of my health care and decisions regarding the care of my health. That's a problem. <laughs> and that, we've that. reversed that, Bob, with health care sharing. Uh, the, the reason, well, we meet health care costs together at half the cost of conventional health care because we pay each other's medical bills. We own that expense. It comes from our pocket and the pockets of our fellow members. And that's precisely what health care sharing is and does. We're a nonprofit uh, association across the nation of folks who pay each other's medical bills on the basis of our shared beliefs and values, where my money every month goes to another person. And, should that, and then should I have expense, that same group is there to pay my bills. 
I can already hear Dale Bellis, president and founder of Liberty Health Share. I can already hear people saying, so I pay a premium every month, right? You said my money every month goes to, uh, goes somewhere. Is that, is that the same thing as a premium? And it's not the same well, thing as a premium. Well, here's how it's transformed. And that's a, here's how it's transformed. That's a great question. Uh, is that instead of going into a company black hole, <laughs> it literally is dollars that you transparently see. Uh, that is then going to share in another person's expense. It's two ninety nine for a single, three ninety nine for a couple, five twenty nine for a family of three or more. We don't count more than three, Bob. Uh, so mom, dad, all kids. That amount of money goes into a secure online account, member account we call our share box, and then transparently, openly, you see those dollars flow to another person's expense. And you can message them with cheer, with encouragement, with prayer, whatever the case may be. We cut the checks out of that receiving member's account to the doctors and hospitals, and we're using that methodology of transparency, openness, participation, connection to one another, uh, and, and paying each other's bills to the extent of $30 million a month. Wow, that is phenomenal. Dale Bellis with Liberty Health Share. A lot of this information that Dale is covering right now is online at libertyhealthshare.org. Dale, I, I've asked you about this before, and I want to get another explanation of it, about how the medical community sees health share uh, uh, systems like this, health care sharing. Uh, do the doctors, hospitals, providers in the, in the medical community accept this as if it were health insurance? Do they alter the costs based on this versus traditional health insurance? How does all of that work our status in the marketplace is we are all self-pay patients responsible for our own care and our own costs we just simply choose to share those expenses together as a community uh, and so the self-pay person standing in front of the counter uh, typically receives lower costs and and less expense because it's not being submitted to an insurance company. Our members certainly engage in that discussion because they want to eliminate unnecessary care as well as unnecessary costs. But our reimbursements to, the, to providers are fair and reasonable and prompt. It eliminates so much of the unnecessary red tape that they have to so frequently go through. So they love it uh, and enjoy it and receive it. 97% is our track record of all doctors and hospitals selected by our members, by the way. Bob, we, we don't have a limiting network. So our, our members decide what doctor hospital they choose. They receive it gladly uh, because it eliminates so much of that administrative overhead and it, it reestablishes that patient-doctor relationship. Dale, let me ask you to take us through um, uh, an example. John Q. Liberty goes to the clinic and has a procedure, maybe does some blood work. Uh, he's, he's told he has to go on some medication, and he needs a prescription. Maybe it's for his cholesterol or for his high blood pressure, whatever the case might be. So now he's got a, a, a lab fee, he's got a doctor's fee for the visit, and he's got prescription costs, and he belongs to Liberty Health Share. Now, uh, he doesn't submit these to a health insurance company. He submits it to Liberty Health Share. How? How does he get the money to pay as a self-payer for all of those things? How does he get those funds? He would, out of convenience, we give our members an ID card. Mm-hmm. Uh, they submit it at the time of their service and say, I'm a self-pay patient, uh, and it says it on the card. I'm responsible for my care and costs, but I'm going to pay these expenses in association with my fellow healthcare sharing ministry members Send the bill to this address there on the card. 
We receive it on behalf of the member, process it in our technology system so that he, he or she sees it in their online member account, what the doctor or hospital billed, the pharmacy costs uh, that would certainly be eligible to share, uh, the lab work, all of that shows up in their online account. They see what's billed, what adjustments we make to that, by the way, as to what's a fair and reasonable payment and reimbursement for that service. Uh, and then we ask a sufficient number of members to share in that expense. That's all transparent. They see exactly what's transpiring. Then we send the checks on behalf of the member to the doctors and hospitals. Uh, and that's the methodology we're utilizing uh, and paying each other's costs. Is there is uh, there a deductible for that though? Before you, uh, before Liberty Health Share takes those funds from all of the members' accounts and adds them all up and sends the payment off to those providers, is there also a, a deductible that the or deductible or a copay that the uh, member has to pay on top of his already monthly health share? No copays or or coinsurance. We uh, uh, but we use the term annual unshared amount. It's the amount that's individual. Uh, members we've chosen to be responsible for ourselves okay. uh, and it's it's currently a thousand dollars for a single 1750 in our membership year for a couple 2250 for a family so we pay that 2250 out of our pockets first fill up that bucket uh, and then everything after that eligible medical expense we, we meet at a hundred percent together uh, uh, per incident. So uh, if I had a heart attack, all the doctor visits, hospital stays, emergency rooms, surgeries, medications, for that condition, up to a million dollars. If it was kidney stones, same principle. Everything associated with that incident uh, or diagnosis, a broken arm, same principle. We are responsible for the first 2250 and then per incident up to a million dollars. Two more quick questions. Dale Bellis, the president and founder and CEO and all of those other big words, uh, with libertyhealthshare.org. Dale, the big, uh, you know, the big word of the day is, or words are pre-existing conditions. We saw, you know, for example, uh, uh, Democratic candidate Richard Cordray attacking Mike DeWine for six months, saying he doesn't support the coverage of pre-existing conditions. It's an issue on Capitol Hill as well. Tell me from the Liberty Health Share perspective, how do you and how do your members deal if they've got families with pre-existing conditions yeah i wish nationally bob we could have a a, a sound and sane conversation about health care or, or about pre-existing conditions in america without all of the uh the political bywords and uh and uh, demagoguery unfortunately indeed but the reality is uh pre-existing cost something uh and we just simply have to analyze uh the the economics associated with that. Here's our mechanism for dealing with pre-existing conditions. In the first year, they're not eligible for sharing because folks can join us any month in the course of the year, Bob. So when they join us in the first year, we don't uh, share in pre-existings. Second year and following, we pick up on it uh, and soon phase it in. It's no longer considered pre-existing. But the most impactful way, frankly, uh, the second way that we deal with pre-existings is there is an epidemic of lifestyle-based diseases. They're chronic conditions that, based upon the way we live and eat and exercise, affects those conditions. We welcome folks with those conditions, and that's the vast majority of pre-existing, uh, because we assign them a health coach. They participate with our uh, health track program. We share in those pre-existing costs 
so long as they're moving toward health and wellness goals, once they reach those objectives, they graduate, it costs an additional $80. That $80 drops off. They continue having achieved those objectives. But we're seeing people's lives change with those kinds of conditions, high blood pressure, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, certainly obesity and smoking and cholesterol. We're just saying let's take responsibility for our health, the care of our health, uh, and we'll participate with you uh, in in following that track toward health and wellness. Last thing before you go, uh, Dale Bellis from LibertyHealthShare.org. If a, if a member, how do you tr- how do you how do you deal with a member who is using too much? And what I mean is, somebody maybe who's a bit of a hypochondriac and they're scheduling physicals every month and they're going in. I've got this. I've got that. Check me out for this, that, and the other. And suddenly it starts to become quite a burden and they're drawing from these other accounts of the share boxes of all these other members uh, just a little bit too much. Is there a limit to how much a member can see and, 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 and take advantage of healthcare providers? Well, we do have limits uh, in terms of the uh, the per incident that I referred to, right? Uh, and we have our out of pockets that we're responsible for. Uh, but it, it's it. Frankly, I just have to acknowledge to you that's not been an issue for us because of the shared mentality that we're paying each other's medical expenses, and so we attract those who really. Uh, uh, are simp- empathetic, I should say, to that mentality and a, and a community sense of owning each other's health care costs. Uh, and that's not a big issue that we uh, deal with because it's our money and the money of our fellow members at stake. Uh, and so uh, th- that uh, mentality uh, just seems to help overcome uh, those over-consumers. Well, Dale, that's a great answer, and that's, that does make sense, too, because it is a ministry, as you talk about, and people with shared values certainly don't want to take advantage of one another, and uh, and they can be guided in that process by one another. Dale Bellis, uh, so how can somebody uh, who wants more information about Liberty Health Share, or if they're already convinced, how do they, uh, how do they get on board? LibertyHealthShare.org is our website. That's the best place to go, LibertyHealthShare.org. Uh, the first opportunity, really, on the home page is to ask for our free information packet. It's called our decision guide. gets delivered electronically to your email. So give your name and email address. It'll uh, get sent over immediately, chock full of explanation and information about healthcare sharing and Liberty HealthShare. Call the toll-free number if you just want to talk it through. Easy to remember, by the way. It's there on our webpage, Bob, but it's 855-58, and then just spell out the word liberty, 855-58-LIBERTY, or peruse the pages of the website, but libertyhealthshare.org is the place to go. And Dale Bellis is the president. Dale, thanks so much for all the information. Obviously, health care and health care costs continue to rise. We're looking for answers, and maybe this is the answer for a lot of people listening to us right now. Thanks for all the information. Thanks for the invitation. God bless. You got it. God bless you as well. Thank you so much. 1053, traffic coming your way next. We'll come back and wrap it up on AM 1420, The Answer. The answer.
10.57, final segment is indeed a short one, and uh, that's okay. It's uh, Sometimes it works out that way. Really, really great conversations today with Daniel Horowitz earlier on, as well as Nick Stomphauser. And I want to I wanna say this again before we get to the uh, end of this program. If you have the ability to get out to Lorraine tomorrow evening... Um, it, it's a great opportunity. He's a, he's a phenomenally talented 20 year old conservative filmmaker who has put together a documentary that he is showing in select theaters around the Midwest, including Lorraine tomorrow night, 6.30, the doors will open, 7.30 is showtime. Get your tickets. It's called How to Kill 14 People Without Saying a Word. And the story is essentially about political correctness in the United States and how it kills people, quite literally. Because you don't want to be deemed politically incorrect by criticizing or reporting to police people that you might be up to no good, people die. And the specific story centers around San Bernardino. Two years ago, you recall, in San Bernardino, California, um, 14 people were killed in a terrorist attack by a husband and wife, uh, a team of Muslim terrorists or Islamic terrorists, and uh, they kept their weapons cash, and they were building bombs at all hours of the night, pipe bombs in their garage. After the fact, the neighbor said, yeah, I wanted to call. I was very suspicious about what was going on there, but I didn't want to be called racist. They didn't want to be called Islamophobic. They didn't want to be called racist, so they couldn't say anything. And hence the title, How to Kill 14 People. Without saying a word. If you get a chance to go see that movie tomorrow night in Lorraine, I strongly encourage you to do so. It would be great. Again, he's a conservative filmmaker, and uh, those people need to be supported by all of us. So thanks again to Nick Stumphauser for joining us on that. Thanks to Daniel Horowitz. Thanks to Dale Bellis. And thanks to you for listening and being a part of the conversation. Tomorrow is a free-for-all Friday edition of the Bob France Authority, and it will follow Bob France in for Hugh Hewitt here on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com